live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. I'm working for Steve Cofield, and it's just it's just nonstop. Out of, it's a nonstop. nonstop. In spite of being quite chubby and not eating healthy, I don't have enough donuts. I should eat more donuts because I love them. Willie's all, Willie's all amped up. Yeah, now I'm ready. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, partying. Partying, partying. Yeah! All right, here we go. Friday, 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 Friday. Mateo's here at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. The company is Willie Ramirez back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Ari is running things. Loaded show, ton of good guests, lots of football talk today. It's a football Friday as we'll uh, talk a little college football in just a few minutes with our college football insider, Michael Felder. But let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Willie, how you doing, buddy? Just got back from the gym. Nice. Get your lift on? Yeah, it was a nasty one, too. And plus, Jordan was there, so it was just, a, you know. He, he, he'll, if he's ever in the gym at the same time I'm at the gym and he's training one of the girls and he sees something that he can just pick on, he will come over and then all of a sudden and he's in my face and it's like <laughs> Tony in Apollo Creed's face or something. Nice. Nice. So, well, someone needed to get in the uh, faces of the aces last night. Faces of the aces. Um, that was not a great effort. Uneven throughout, and then you just kind of faded down the stretch. So we got a 2-1 series now. Yeah, I think that they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to say that they took anything lightly or they jumped to, jumped the gun. That they thought. I think what everyone else forgot is that, well, Alyssa Thomas is one of the best two-way players in the league. And at some point during the season, she was in the middle of the MVP chat. She won se- several of the of the um, of the weeks where Asia Wilson was the Western Conference Player of the Week, Alyssa Thomas, she may have had the most Eastern Conference Player of the Week awards. Um, Dewana Bonner is a two-time WNBA champion. John Quell Jones is an MVP. Courtney Williams is as rugged a dog. Talking about dog mentality. So this is an and I went into this series saying, even talking to Becky, that this may be they may have a better bench than the Aces. So. It wasn't surprising to me to see them win, um, dominate the way that they did maybe, but not really because we've seen the Aces fall flat. I was asked, um, I was asked, uh, I believe it was the morning show radio, on Raider Nation Radio, um, you know, just what is it about what happened to the Aces when they sort of fell flat midseason? And I said, they're def- they forgot to play defense. You saw what happened. So, you know, I, I think the X date, now Becky gave them the day off. We got a we got a um, an update that practice was canceled for today. So I don't know if that was like, hey, go clear your heads, do what you got to do. Tomorrow they get back to practice, and then Sunday's the game. Maybe they needed that extra day to just clear their heads after you know they got on the plane, they flew. Connecticut came in, played desperate. So I think we'll see a better effort for them. But I'm not I'm not saying that they're going to wrap it up. Game four on Sunday. What time? Same time as the, I believe it's the exact same time as the Raiders at oh boy. 1 o'clock. Oh, boy. We'll talk about Mark Davis and uh, his conundrum in just a little bit. Last night's game, Thursday Night Football, was 
awesome. Lots of game-changing plays. Chargers fall, and we'll see if they've lost Justin Herbert for a while. He's got a rib cartilage injury, which they're saying is day-to-day, but the uh, real game-changing play was Herbert looking for Gerald Everett, miscommunication, and uh uh-oh, it goes the other way. Chargers go without a huddle again. Right side, tight intercepted on the left side. Picked off at the goal line at the 25-yard line. Picked off by Watson. Watson could go all the way. The seventh-round pick, 20, 15, 10, 5. Jalen Watson cooking hamburgers in Augusta, Georgia. Then he went to Wazoo, and now he gets a 100-yard pick six for a touchdown. Kansas City at 10:29 to go in the game. That was big. Chargers had their chances. They had a chance to take a pick six the other way, but Asante Samuel Jr., who was excellent in the game, dropped it. He also dropped another interception at midfield. And for me, I come out of this game, probably a slight upgrade for the Chargers. They still got to fix their third down woes. But I think these two teams are a coin flip. I don't know if they're going to finish with the same record, but... I think the Chargers are right there with them. And obviously the the Herbert injury hurts the Chargers, but guess who put the injury on them? The Chiefs, who played some really good defense, and we'll break down the D. But for you, where are these teams now after that game? Because that was a nip and tuck game. Well, going into the game, I felt that I, w- I was completely surprised at just n- not that Kansas City dominated Arizona or you know beat Arizona, but the, the dominating fact. I came out of last week saying, Kansas City is now the team to beat. I went into the season like everybody else thinking, okay, the Chargers are the team to beat. But I was so impressed with the domination and the chemistry that you saw from all three facets from the Chiefs that they really came out, Patrick Mahomes specifically, with a point to prove. I give the Chiefs a little bit of the nod there, and I think they're the team to beat. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. ESPN Las Vegas on a Friday. We get ready for college football every week with Michael Felder. So, I read your four hard downs. Good stuff. And I got to tell you, I don't think this got a lot of attention because the game really wasn't on TV. But there was a call at the end of the Cal-UNLV game that was a clear pass interference in the end zone. On Cal, it did not get called. I was standing 50 feet away. I know what I saw, but you warned people this week, stop with the conspiracy theories and getting all worked up over calls. College football, we still we talk about it as a national sport, but it's a regional sport, and they have regional viewers, which is why, from a playoff standpoint with the four teams, they try their best. Like The worst playoff you could have is to have Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama in the playoff with Ohio State. The whole entire western part of the country is just completely cut off, right? Like, from a rating standpoint, like, these are all the same markets, the whole deal. And so if we can understand that point, then we also have to understand that during the regular season, people aren't watching other games. All these people think the Pac-12 refs are the worst refs. But SEC fans think the SEC refs are the worst refs. And then ACC fans are like, the ACC refs are the worst refs. So it's what you're telling me is, the rest for your team, your conference are the worst refs, but you don't watch the other refs. Right. So you have no idea. <laughs> it's a hard job, but they want to keep the job. It keeps them connected to the foot to the game. Make it's like a force to make sure they stay in shape. It's this whole big thing, and it's a community that they really 
they want to do good a good job but it's a hard job the reality of it is is that they're just having a rough time and that's the part that like <laughs> nobody understands michael felder is with us for hard downs tell people where they can find the letter oh you can find it at itsfelder.bulletin.com and it's truly just we have a lot of fun and, and we go through and we, we we talk college football and we we do seafood sundays and i'm actually a little cheater here you're going to get the inside info we're going to do seafood sunday on a friday um i'm doing a um a shrimp and scallop chowder today wow tips dropping a little bit i'm ready to have some soup i'm ready to rock and roll so that'll be seafood sunday but we're going to get that done on friday michael felder college football expert in Chicago. So let's talk about one of uh, Friday's games, and that is Louisville and Florida State. I mean, where are you right now in Florida State? They're actually a favorite on the road. I know they're a road favorite. Louisville's a home dog, and I just don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this game. I thought that Louisville was going to get kind of mashed out last week against UCF, and then they go in and they get a win, and I think they got a win because they didn't turn the ball over. They moved the ball against Syracuse in week one. They just turned the ball over like three times. So against Florida State, I think Florida State's on a, a bit of a resurgence, a little bit of a, I'm not going to call it a revenge tour, but I certainly will say that this is a team that wants people to know that they're very close to arriving. And for as often as we say is Texas back, I think Florida State is actually putting in the work to get there. And I think Florida State wins, but I think this is going to be a bit of a dogfight. It's a Friday night and both of these teams, they want to win, and they want like they need a win. And, and to start one and two for Louisville versus starting undefeated for Florida State, those I think they hold similar gravity. Uh, Satterfield obviously is like, guys, we I'm trying to change the culture here and create this situation. And Norvell's like, we got hired around the same time and I'm trying to change the culture too, to get us back to where we want to be like at the mountaintop and something's got to give. So this is, I think going to be a really good game tonight. I'm actually probably going to, I'll probably throw this one up on the projector um, after the kids go to bed. So uh, just to watch, like to see it in big time. Nebraska moves on from Scott Frost, kind of crazy early in the season. They don't care about the money. So they pay the extra buyout number. Mickey Joseph is in as the head coach. So where are we here with Nebraska? Is it, hey, the season's over, or, hey, we hated that guy, let's rally behind the new guy? I, I think it's it's going to be a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. And I was talking to – so I talked to two people. I talked to um, uh, my buddy, Nubias Wilborn, who writes for AL.com, who, who covers Auburn, but also used to cover Penn State. And obviously Penn State has played Nebraska, and so he had to do those games. And then I talked to Kevin Sumlin. And someone loves Mickey Joseph. He's super excited about what he brings to the table. So are we going to see a Marcus Freeman-style rally from the players where these guys are – or, or, or um, what's his name that coached West Virginia? Bill – the guy that coached West Virginia after when Horgelson left. And are we going to – Bill Stewart, excuse me. After Rich Rod – Bill Stewart. Are we going to see a Bill Stewart kind of rally from these guys and – and, and, and see how that shakes itself out? Or are we going to see them be like, I don't know who the next guy is going to be because it is what it is. I just need to make sure I get my numbers to transfer to wherever I need to go. It's going to be really interesting. I, I, I think that with Nebraska, the big key is going to be you've got to galvanize this locker room. You've got to 
bring these guys together. You've got to find a way to make them not just be excited to play football, but be excited to play football at Nebraska. And that's the biggest part of this. So Mickey Joseph, Kevin Sumlin is loves him. And I'll take Kevin Sumlin on his word because he's a good dude. And he said, he said, these guys, he said, they're going to, they're going to open things up and they're going to push. So I believe him. We did that on field of 12. I believe him. So I'm very curious to see what this looks like, but like, I mean, Kofa, we're, you know, you and I, we're, we're a little, we're a little long in the tooth. Like, <laughs> when, can you remember, like, what was going on in your life when Oklahoma and Nebraska was a big deal? Oh, I, I yeah. remember, oh, no, I remember it being a gigantic deal because I actually, as a kid, I kind of liked Nebraska and I was always heartbroken because uh, Oklahoma mm-hmm. had the better athletes or freaking quarterbacks were awesome. So, you know, the, 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 I mean, this is kind of a rivalry spot, I think. Um, but I also, you know, I don't know about Oklahoma yet. I don't know about Oklahoma yet. And obviously they struggled in the first half last week and then they kind of got things together. But the defense looks so much better. So where do we, how do we rate all these things? If the offense isn't going to be as good as with Lincoln Riley, but they're good enough, but the defense is much better. So they can bring the opponent down while they kind of stay right here. It's going to be interesting to see. I just like, I don't know. We saw it with the backyard brawl in Pitt and in West Virginia, but I think they have more local players and guys who played together than the current Oklahoma, Nebraska. So I don't know if, and, and, and I don't know if rekindling this is going to hold the same weight, the same gravity, right? Uh, because these guys were born. What is it? We're looking at it's 2022. So these guys <laughs> were born in 2000 and what? Two, yep. 2003, yep. 2001, excuse me. Right. And 2001, it was like, nobody was like, we weren't checking for Nebraska that hard when Dude. they were, when they were six months old. Yeah. Michael Felder, at In the Bleachers, up on Twitter. Let's bang through a bunch of games here uh, real quick. I just saw Cal on the field. Uh, Notre Dame is struggling. Notre Dame's laying 11.5 against the Bears. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting football game. Um, I just don't think Cal has the firepower, and I think Notre Dame's going to have to turn it up, especially after what happened last weekend. They have to win this football game. If they lose this game and start 0-3, they're in trouble. Oregon and BYU. BYU in a dramatic victory against Baylor. Don't use the kicker too often, though. Uh, and Oregon bounces back against Eastern Washington. Oregon is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. You mentioned the kicker, so I didn't have to. Yeah. I think the difference between Oregon and Utah is Utah scored 70 points because they are that good, and we saw them move the ball up and down the field against Florida. Oregon scored 70 points because they felt like they needed to to get back into the rankings. I don't know what that looks like against BYU. I love Jaron Hall. And then BYU, so cagey with, are we going to see, when are we going to see Gunnar Romney play a football game? Are we going to see Puka Nakua this weekend? What are we, what, they're so good. They're hiding everything. So I don't even, I don't know, like, who's going to play receiver for them? It's a good point. Got to get healthy. Um, I want to take LSU, but tell me why I shouldn't against Mississippi State as their home dogs, uh, the Tigers are. Will Rogers, he's good. And I don't know if LSU, I, I, I don't think they like Brian Kelly. Already. We've already made this determination. Yeah. The fans, the alums, the or the players. players? Really? The players. I think Jaden Daniels likes him because he gave him the starting job. But, I mean, I watched Kayshaw Boutte, and the way that he looks at the sideline and the way that he looks at the quarterback, he's like, come on, man, this can't be it. So, And that's not a knock on him. That's a guy being frustrated with what's going on. And that frustration doesn't start on Saturdays. That starts Monday to Friday. Texas A&M. Against Miami, 
A&M's laying six after just a horrific performance against App State. They had 186 yards of offense. By the way, can we just slip in real quick before the game? Whatever that uh, yell squad is that was speaking in front of the crowd last week, I mean, bruh, the school itself, come on. You, you got a kid standing on the field talking about App State being, you know, goobers and hillbillies. By the way, the Texas A&M yell squad are all wearing overalls, which, you know, for, yeah. like, for us in Nevada. Classic hillbilly yeah, attire. <laughs> like for us in Nevada, we're looking, we're like, Texas, Boone, North Carolina, what the hell's the difference? But anyway, uh, that was embarrassing. Does A&M bounce back here and just – Handle Miami? They, I don't think they handle Miami. I think we're going to be we're going to watch a dogfight. I think Miami's got a great opportunity to win this football game, um, as long as they've got a couple guys that step up offensively. I think defensively they're a, a solid squad. I think they have to find guys that step up. They, they're heavy up front on the offensive line, so and on the defensive line they, they they try to get heavy as well. I think this is one of those things where A and M, I mean they're they're up against it. They're up. They are up against it because you have a game where Haynes King throws two interceptions against Sam Houston State, and those two interceptions, by the way, um, should have had five because they dropped three. And then you throw in 97, 97 passing yards, ninety-seven. Wow, there are games in the, there are games that happened last week where the backup quarterback had ninety-seven passing yards after the starting quarterback got taken out. And then you want to talk all this garbage about App State. Like, it's it. you know what it does? It, it clearly dates me because App State was a team that everybody knew was a problem. But I guess the kids that are in college now still, they don't remember 2007 because they were four. And they don't remember App State jumping from FCS. They don't remember App State winning a bunch of FCS titles then jumping to FBS and then being an immediate contender in the Sun Belt. They don't think about any of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was a terrible stand-up routine that he did. Uh, obviously, Awful. Uh, <laughs> a weird a weird tradition that is totally native to them, not to any other school. We, I can tell you this, we never had a pep rally at UNC. So, and our male cheerleaders were not the focus. But the reality is, is they... um. I don't know. They, they've got to get their minds right. And, again, I talked about body language with Butte. Watching A-Chain and Aeneas Smith look at Haynes King like, can you put the ball out in front so I can right. keep running? Right. Like, there's a there's a level of frustration there as well. All right, let's close it out with, I think, the bane of your existence. You love college football. I think you like watching these games, but after dark, for a guy in Chicago or people on the East Coast – um, it can be a little bit rough. I, I laugh, you know, all the time when I see. Uh, God, I'm, I'm trying to think who it was uh, last week. Oh, uh, Braden Gall, who's a really good college football expert, and he was like, "Man, this yeah. game's so late." And I was like, "Bro, it's 11 o'clock out here. Like the, like I ain't even getting ready for the bars yet. Like this is, we go out to the bars in Vegas at midnight. Like relax." But the <laughs> game, the games this week to close out the day are really interesting. Uh, one, we've seen San Diego State you know, bounce back a little bit against Idaho State, but Burmeister so far, I mean, he's been hurt. He just doesn't look like he can yep. throw the ball. And Utah is laying 21, which seems way too big, but maybe it's not. Yeah, I think Utah's ex- – they're a very dynamic offensive team. The difference between every game but the Florida game is no one's going to be as big as Florida. And if you're not going to be as big as – if you're not going to be bigger than Utah – then you're going to have a tough time beating Utah. And that's what we're seeing right now. We saw it last week when they played their FCS game. 
but we also like but we're gonna watch them consistently beat teams up because they're they're physically stronger so they're gonna put the paws on them i think this is gonna be an interesting game for san diego state um we get the fresno state and usc and uh listen that's a game that starts what does it start 10 30 eastern yep and whoo usc people are already kind of crowning them as having the best offense in the country i need to see them play against some resistance don't know that Fresno State offers the resistance, but I do know that Jake Hayner's probably going to be smarter with the football than Rice and Stanford, which means I think they're going to keep scoring because USC's defense isn't good. If they're not getting a turnover, they're not stopping it. So there's that one. Arizona, North Dakota State. Uh, I love, love it. Love it. Have you have <laughs> you seen Arizona's turnover celebration? Yes. Uh, well, no, I actually haven't seen it, but I, I read it uh, in Four Hard Downs. Yeah. Tell people about it. It's kind of crazy. It's like a Brazilian, like Churrasco, like a like a like they take the football. For people that don't know, each team plays with their own football when you're on offense. So if you get a turnover, Arizona takes the football from the other team, and then they impale it on like a Churrasco, one of those sort of like when you flip the green card over at a Brazilian steakhouse. Sure. It's amazing. Yeah, I love that one. I think Arizona State takes care of business. They they bounce back after the Oklahoma State game against Eastern Michigan, and then Hawaii and Duquesne. Like, is this the spot where Hawaii gets a win that starts at midnight? My is this God. where Hawaii can get a win? I hope. I hope. Uh, one more thing on Fresno and USC. I think I think you're on it on USC's questions on defense. The problem is the Fresno games I've watched, and that even goes back to playing Cal Poly, their O-line. Yeah. Like, when I first saw Fresno a couple of years ago up, they up close. They got smacked around. They, uh, they have a guy, Dante Bull, who's a Canadian. He's like 6'7", 340, and I'm like, that guy's an NFL lineman. And then I look up this year, and he goes from left tackle to right tackle. I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on yeah. with this line. And I feel like Hayner is running for his life. Like, when he stands yes. back and he all these crossing patterns and these guys were like 5'8", 180, they're friggin' awesome. But oftentimes, he's just running all over the place, and he ain't big. He's a small guy, and those hits add up. We saw it last year, right, where he got hit so much. He just – he was tired. He looked – he was tired. He was a, he's tied and it was, it's not just, a, it wasn't even that he was like, he wasn't injured where he couldn't move around. Cause there are a couple games where he did have the ankle and the leg issue, but he just is like, man, I'm sick of getting hit and I'm so tired of this. And they've got to find a way to protection to protect him. Whether that means rolling out, moving the pocket, slide protection, max protection, but max protection means if you're going to max protect with a tight end and a running back, you only have three guys in a pattern, which means, they can take five to cover three, which makes it harder to find your open man. They're way better when they have four guys out in the route or they have five guys out in the route because that confuses the defense. But if you can get if the defense can get home with four, you still have a really rough time. So I wonder what this looks like against USC, who's most of USC's successes come with being playing in the back end. Playing in the back end with their line with the back seven, their linebackers in their uh, wide uh, their linebackers in the defensive backs covering down wide receivers and taking the ball away. One more time before we get you out of here, uh, tell people about how to get the bulletin. Yeah, it's felder.bulletin.com. You can, if you click on my Twitter, in the, ble- at, in the bleachers, the, the link's right there. You can click there, hit subscribe. And we're doing five for five on premium. I, after we hop off here, I got to run to the grocery store, and then I'm going to give folks a little tutorial. I'm making a little uh, uh, shrimp and uh, scallop uh, chowder with some leeks and some potatoes up in there. Nice. Football and food videos. That's the spot for Michael Felder. Thank you. It's always good, man. Take it easy. Michael Felder, college football expert. Follow him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Giveaway time. Aerosmith, Deuces Are Wild Residency. Going on now through December. 
Dolby Live at Park MGM. You can grab your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. Let's give away two tickets right now to Aerosmith. 364-1100-364-1100. You know what? Let's give away four tickets. Two pairs going out right now to caller 78-364-1100-364-1100. Park MGM. Aerosmith. Deuces are wild residency. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, we just hung around. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. The defense kept us in the game. Our offense, we didn't. I mean, we didn't play our best football. And I think the defense that was huge for them to keep us in that game, make some plays, get points on the board, and just give us a chance. And I think with a young defense like that, to see that this early in the season, I think that's going to carry us the rest of the way. You are listening to Cofield and Company live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Pat Mahomes talking about the game last night. Big play of the game, of course, the pick six by one Jalen Watson. That was amazing. His story is amazing. By the way, thanks to Michael Felder for popping on the show. College football picks, lots of good stories there. Watson is, you know, in some ways similar to UNLV's Jare Williams. Jare Williams, the nickelback, who's been one of the stars in what has been a pretty good defense for the Rebels had a circuitous route to the Rebel football program. Out of high school, really didn't have any Division One offers, so he went to Arkansas Monticello. He's a Louisiana kid. Played high school football with former Rebel Jacoby Winman. So Arkansas Monticello, COVID hits. He has to move on. He's pitched by Winman. Hey, come out to Vegas and maybe you can walk on the team. It doesn't work out where he can walk on. There's no availability. Then he told me, you know, a month ago during an interview, he's like, I work like six different jobs just, you know, trying to survive. He's like, it was fun here. And then, you know, I tried again to walk on. He made it last year, and then he couldn't get eligible by the NCAA Clearinghouse. So, anyway, Watson, coming out of high school, lands at Ventura College in California from Augusta, Georgia. He is a JUCO star, commits to USC in 2019. All these offers, can't get it done academically to get in, then is working at a Wendy's back home and is like, man, my football career is probably over. He gets his academics together, gets some offers, lands at Washington State, is awesome, and then is the seventh-round pick of the Chiefs. And then last night had first-round pick Trent McDuffie not been hurt. He's probably not on the field, and he makes the key play, really the winning play in the game. Well, and the one thing I, that not not that you glossed over because that's pretty pretty. I mean, you hit everything. But the thing that stood out to me is this was a kid who, as you mentioned, had to decommit from USC because he was academically ineligible. When he went to Washington State, he was a straight A student and earned an associate's degree that allowed him to enter the new school. Um, so he didn't just skate by and get you know just get what he needed to in order to get back onto the college football field. This was a kid that went to a Pac-12 school, became a straight-A student. I mean, he, he put his head, he screwed his head on straight and said, this is what I need to do. You know what I mean? So he goes from Wendy's working, going back and living with his mom to, in a sense, the highest that you can get academically. So he didn't just, you know, again, he didn't just get by to get on the football field. He, he, uh, he excelled at everything. All Pac-12 Conference honorable mention as a redshirt junior. 
finishes a two-year career with the Cougars. Um, allowed 35 catches on 65 targets. Not too shabby. Two interceptions, four breakups. An opponent pass rating of 68.6. He really sort of balled out to prove himself. And as you mentioned, the only reason why he got to play last night is because he was jumped in for an injured teammate. You know, we uh, we talk about the Chiefs a lot being really fortunate. And yep. fortunate is not really a good description of how they got Patrick Mahomes. They moved up and they got him. So that wasn't lucky. But I think a lot of credit is given to the Chiefs. Like, yeah, you know what, they have Patrick Mahomes, so of course they're going to win. If you watch them in the draft the last couple of years, because of the way the team is structured, they have a lot of expensive players. They continue to come up with guys late in the draft who are contributors, who are cheap options. And Watson is yet another guy. And we were talking early in the show about where we have the Chiefs and the Chargers right now. And I said basically it's a coin flip between the two teams. I will say I still have, I'll correct myself, the Chargers are a tick behind the Chiefs because I do believe in the Chiefs coaching staff a little more than Staley and company. And I really want to get into the subject of later on. The OC with the Chargers annoyed me a bit last year. And so far in the first two games, not great. Not great. And Andy Reid, you know, if the enemy stinks as OC, Andy Reid is an offensive guy. Staley's a defensive guy. So Staley's in one of those positions where it's like, bruh, to Lombardi, bruh, you gotta, you're the one who's got to get this done. I'm not going to meddle often. I may make some decisions, but I'm probably not going to make too many play calls on offense. So they still got to clean up that one element. The Chargers have way too many weapons, Willie, to struggle this much on third down. They've opened the season 11 of 30 on third downs. They get more third down conversions last night. They win. This Wednesday, Cofield and Company is live at the Plaza Pool for Bikini Tug of War. Come watch the weigh-in at 3. The tug starts at 4 at the Plaza Pool with ESPN Las Vegas. Ten turnovers for Las Vegas. Lob inside. Bonner able to finish. And there it is. The first triple-double in WNBA Finals history belongs to Alyssa Thomas. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. ESPN, Ryan Rucco on the call there. Aces fall in game three. Boy, I got to tell you, Willie, as we're down here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, I believe Willie just made a cardinal mistake. Um, We always talk on this show about eating granola or peanuts because they become just throat lockup mechanisms. Willie has decided to, one, order the buffalo cauliflower down here, which I'm sure is awesome, but I believe you're going to cough and have a runny nose for the next 20 minutes. Are you going to be okay? They're not, first of all. I, I, <laughs> that was a mistake. First of all, they're not drenched in buffalo, which is a good sign. They, they put the buffalo, on the si- buffalo sauce on the side. Second of all, I don't know how to say this. They're, 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 I think, I think you ran. You're no, like, I don't have a second of all. No, Damn no, it. No, I do have a second of all. Okay. Here's the thing. You make buffalo cauliflower on your menu available for those people that don't want fry. So, so instead of getting the, right, the fried chicken wings, sure. you want to get so you avoid the breaded, the whatever. Right. So, like, I've had buffalo cauliflower, and you just you toss it in the sauce, and then it's somewhat grilled or broiled or dropped, but there's no breading. This has breading. Oh, no. 
But it, but here's the thing, it's really good. Okay. But good. the buffalo sauce is on the side, so I'm not worried good. about that. My throat, and I got the chicken Caesar salad. I thought today was our last show at the Golden Circle. Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little hockey. Let's talk a little WNBA. Let's talk a little NFL. Uh, brand new hire of Lotus Broadcasting, producer, fill-in host. Lindsey Brown is up with Cofield and company. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm sweating a little bit because I'm in uh, the Life is Beautiful Festival, just seeing people kind of start to make their way in. But, you know, the sports season is young, gentlemen, and so it's, it's easy to be excited to uh, be a part of the team here. What freaking dedication? Because when Willie said, hey, let's get Lindsay on, but she'll be at Life is Beautiful, I'm like, bruh, I think she's going to be having a good time down there. So you carve out some time for her. So we totally appreciate that. All right, let's talk about the Golden Knights because you're great on – the VGK stuff, and what's coming up in terms of the rookies? Well, the rookies, I mean, it's going to be tough because you've got to think that Korzak's knocking on the door to possibly make some, uh, some noise on the defensive end as we wait to see what the Nick Hag contract uh, situation is going to be. But, you know, this roster, as it's been historically, is so veteran top-heavy, and they've done a really good job at least the last couple of years developing that bottom six, the Keegan Cole, sorry, the Brett Howden and stuff. So there's not going to be a ton of roster spots for rookies to uh, break into this lineup. But the thing is, is that a successful organization is all about competition because competition breeds competence. And so you're pushing from uh, those young guys hoping to uh, make some noise, make uh, a name for themselves with the staff here and um, get some positive momentum into their developmental years. And, Lynn, uh, I think uh, enlighten the listeners because a lot of times they think, you know, the, the, you hear these hype stories about the rookies, but a lot of these guys, they still got to go through the process and the rigors of either juniors or or AHL. They're, they're, it's 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 more or less to sort of get get the vibe of where they're at and where to place them. Correct. Well, it's so much about becoming a, a professional away from the ice. I mean, that's really where the simplicity is. Is like, where do I pinch? Where do I go? Am I supposed to skate the puck here? And and there's still a lot of to get up to speed with that because the game just gets faster as you obviously move up through the ranks, but it's like, are you going to sleep on time? Are you waking up on time? Are you making sure you're taking care of your body? How are you handling the adversity when coach says, hey, we're not playing you today, or we're going to sit you down for the rest of the period because you're not doing what you're supposed to be? Like, a lot of these guys have been told yes their entire lives and that they're great. When you start getting into the highest level, that's where you start being told no and and starting to get a little nitpicky, but that's exactly where you want to separate the the goods from the greats, and hopefully we have uh, some greats in the stable making their way up, up through the organization. Before we move on to the actual parent club, uh, Brendan Brisson from Michigan, big top prospect, already a center with the Henderson Silver Knights. Where do you see him? Could he possibly play at any time this season? Well, I mean, you could definitely see him make some uh, make some time up there if there's injuries and stuff. But the thing is that you don't want a lot of these young guys playing third, fourth line minutes if you want them to be top-line centers in the NHL. You want to dominate the level before you move up, and you want to make sure that you're playing against competition that best fosters the environment for your development. So if you want to bring him up in a pinch, that's fine. But in terms of, like, extended play, I wouldn't want to see him up there very much because I want him to get better. And for him to get better, the best place at that point, I think, is Henderson. So, Lynn, let's let's move forward. Uh, Robin Leonard out for the year. when once again talking to Lotus Broadcasting producer and host Lindsey Brown here on ESPN 1100. Lindsey, um, Robin Leonard out for the season. Now we mm-hmm. hear, now we know that Logan Thompson. Uh, we've heard Brisson, uh, Laurent Brisson, he'll be fine, or he, he they're they're banking on him to be fine. But then they bring in Aiden Hill. You know goalies as well as anybody else. You played goalie up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. 
What What are your thoughts on the goalie situation with the Golden Knights? Well, I obviously want to give my best wishes to Robin Leonard first and foremost because hockey's secondary. We know that he's a guy that, that struggles with a lot of like most of us do in our everyday lives away from our profession. So I wish that he has a speedy, productive recovery and that he'll be back in the lineup soon. But it's going to be really tough just in the way that he plays his style. He's a bigger dude. He likes to play down to that butterfly, and his knees are really far apart when he goes down in that butterfly, and that causes extra torque on the hips. And let me tell you guys, the skating uh, motion is very unnatural. And then the goalie, we might as well just put that into a different stratosphere. And so I, I really hope that he's able to find uh, a similar level of play that he's been able to achieve in the past. But I'm also very, very optimistic for Logan Thompson this season in the goaltending situation, just the team in general. And I haven't felt like that in the last couple of years because there's just been a lot of weird vibes, a lot of weird movements. But, you know, the Thompson character, he has swag. He has personality. And we've seen goalies early on in their career find success, like Jordan Biddington, like Jake Ottinger, like uh, – uh, number 35 up in Vancouver, whose jersey I'm going to buy, who I can't think of his name right now. But all of these guys have found success early. And you can have teams latch on to that. This is what, that team, this is what the goalmates need because they need a little bit more personality, a little bit more juice when the, when the goals aren't going in and somebody to rely upon. And you can get that from a big-time save in your net mind. You know, last year it hurt so much once Jack Eichel hit the ice. You know, he's not doing enough. How come he's not doing it? He needs to score more, score more. What I don't think a lot of people realize, it was the first time that he finished, and even though it was half of a season, uh, that he finished with more goals and assists. He's He's been known more as a playmaker. And if you had mm-hmm. averaged out what he, you know, if you did the, the ratio, what he would have had on an 82-game season, he actually would have had some pretty decent numbers. What do you expect from him this season? And does he even have anything to prove, or is he fitting in as far as you're concerned in this lineup nicely? Oh, he has loads to prove. He has a hell of a lot to prove because he's Jack freaking Eichel. He's making a ton of money. And <laughs> this league, when he is at his peak of his powers, this league is better. You talk about the Austin Matthews shot. You talk about Carmick David skating. He has those unique skill sets as well, but he hasn't had the people around him to be able to be truly like the peak of his self. And so, what I really want to see, John, because everybody's like, oh, put Eichel with Stone. Like, let's get this thing going. I'm like, how about we put Eichel with Marshy? Because I want Eichel to get downhill this year. I want him to take charge. I want him skating, especially with that puck in the offensive zone below the tops of the circles, because that's where he's going to rip it. He loves to go down that left side and go to the, the far glove side. And I want him to get those looks because I want him vibing the most out of this roster. Because he's pretty much the newest guy that you need to be that catalyst on this roster. Schofield and Company, Treasure Island on a Friday. Lindsey Brown is with us. All right, what would you watch last night, WNBA or Thursday Night Football? I was watching Aces mostly, and then halftime happened, and I was like, all right, we'll watch a little bit of football. But, you know, sometimes I, I like to leave those losing efforts alone, but the Aces, they were, they were staying in that game, you know, Kate Plumster making some shots, but tough for them to win when Chelsea Gray doesn't make the buckets that she's been automatic on these last couple weeks. Are they going to win the title? Yes. Why? Yes, 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 yes. Because of the trajectory. Like, this is a team that has been here before. This is a team that has Asia Wilson, who's won her MVP. This isn't the first time through any of this. And and for all the experience, for for the extra gumption that Becky Hammond brings to this roster as well, it just it seems like there's too much going in their favor. Now, if you all of a sudden start taking threes and you take those easier shots, which I know they've been fostering all season long, but sometimes you got to take what's being given to you in front. 
and, uh, and and hopefully able to knock it out. But Connecticut, I, it's going to be tough to beat them on home court because they're really good there, right? No doubt. Yes, no doubt, yeah. especially if they're turning into a, a grinder. So give me your yeah. take on the Raiders in the opener. What do you think? I think we really, really wanted Devontae Adams to look good in week one. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think we tried to force the ball a lot, and I think we heard Derek Carr talk about how he was, He's getting a little bit too quick. He's trying to force plays and stuff. That's to be expected. It's easy to get hyped up, especially with a, a divisional rival and, and to have Herbert out there slinging it. I mean, I would want to play at the, my best against that guy, too. And so I hope they're able to get a little bit better balanced attack this week. I mean, every time they went to Waller, it seemed like he was good. So maybe instead of going, you know, three out of the five targets to Devontae, maybe it's two out of the five, and we, we cycle in somebody else with just a little bit more, uh, uh, I don't know, flair. You got a pick for the game on Sunday against the Cardinals, blowout, or are Cardinals really threaten them? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think the Raiders win. I, I really, I think the Cardinals are my main team to just kind of study how they psychologically handle the season, just based off of the contract with with Kyler and the Cliff Kingsbury, who's always one uh, butt cheek off the seat and everything else. And so, I think the Raiders get a win because zero and two is a hell of a hole to be in, especially with how the news cycle works in, uh, in our sports media landscape, gentlemen. No doubt. Would be a disaster in the division. All right, well, enjoy. Yep. Life is beautiful. We're glad you're on board, Lindsay. Thank you so much, and have a good weekend, and we'll see you early in the week next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lindsay. There she is, Lindsay Brown. By the way, I have no idea if she's in next week or Lindsay, I don't. I don't have everyone. Uh, I don't have a, I say stuff on the air sometimes, and I'm like, I don't know what her schedule is. You know where Lindsay is tomorrow? Where? She is in the booth with four throw the flag. Oh really? Okay. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. she's. Uh, that's right. I forgot. She is her, one of her assignments uh, early on is to work with you guys. Talk about being thrown into the fire with you and Gooch. It's going to be tomorrow's going to be a that week. show is is out of control. It is, and it's we got a wicked lineup tomorrow. You you do. Who's on the show tomorrow? Oh, John Sassenti, Caleb Herring, David Brandt, AP Sport. Uh, let me start over. John Sassenti, Las Vegas Bowl Executive Director. Caleb Herring, color commentary, UNLV football. AP Sports reporter covering the Arizona Cardinals to preview the game, David Brandt. Former Raider Greg Townsend, and we close things out. Oh, and I got a little uh, – I I think Marcus Arroyo might be joining us real early in the morning. But Christopher Chapman, who heads up the UNLV pregame show, will close out the show to preview a little bit before he gets going with the pregame. So tomorrow, good spot to be with Willie and Gooch. 9 a.m. start. With the show, goes until 11. It's live here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. They've added breakfast to the menu. That starts up at 9.30, so you got the early games in college football. Four different breakfast items. The uh, chorizo papa's breakfast bowl, the oh. breakfast sandwich, uh, chicken chilaquiles, the breakfast meat lover's quesadilla. You can mm. get bottomless mimosas and also Bloody Mary pitchers. Great spot to bet the games, and if you're down at Treasure Island, well, you should know, parking is free here, so that's freaking awesome. If the book windows are not open, they have kiosks that run 24-7 here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island.